Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Look, up in the sky, it's a climate emergency. It's a climate crisis. No, it's climate Barbie preaching to the rest of us schlubs to change our ways or the planet is kaput. Not that Catherine McKenna plans to give up her lavish limo rides in the meantime, mind you. Sheila Gunn-Reed has the latest on Miss McKenna's never-ending quest for fear-mongering and environmental hypocrisy. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau dropped by the White House the other day for a brief meeting with President Trump. And guess what? So did our roving reporter, Kian Bexty. We'll have his report from the U.S. Capitol. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my commentary on Ontario Premier Doug Ford, in which he received flack for attending a gay pride parade from the very same people who gave Ford flack for not attending gay pride parades in the past. Is your head ready to explode yet? Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Catherine McKenna is really, really, really passionate about fighting climate change. I mean, just listen to this unrestrained volume. I mean, passion. Speaker, if you're like the party opposite, you're worried about uh, you're worried about costs. You should be worried about the costs that we are passing on to our kids. The cost of climate change. Yeah. We have got an emergency here, and the party opposite is not telling the truth to Canadians. Why don't they step up? Why don't they step up for climate action? Why don't step up for the economy, the future, and stop misleading Canadians? And that there is not the first time Old Yeller has gotten herself off the rev limiter, as we say out here on the prairies about this impending vengeance against humanity from our angry, spiteful Mother Earth. Just watch this. We got a report last year that said we have 12 years to take serious climate action. We are all in this together. We need to act. And just remember last year. Who remembers last summer? Who remembers the extreme heat that we felt last summer? Who remembers that people literally died of extreme heat? I've called people, I've called mothers in, in British Columbia where there were forest fires. Remember those forest fires? And guess what? They were scared for their kids to go outside because the air quality was so bad. Catherine McKenna is so worked up about climate change these days that she proposed a motion which has passed in the House of Commons declaring a climate emergency, whatever that means. Gee, I guess that means somebody needs to call 911 because the planet is on fire or something. But that's the thing, isn't it? The enviral hucksters were warning of an impending ice age back in the 70s. In subsequent decades, the barometric boogeyman turned out to be global warming. But as temperature continued to flux both up and down, the new whiz-bang phrase for the impending planetary apocalypse is the catch-all term climate change. How do we stop it? Who knows? But the first step, according to certain elected officials, is for us to, yes, pay more taxes. And with more on the hot air planet Earth is enduring, 
not from prevailing wind currents from the tropics, but rather from over-the-top rhetoric emanating from Parliament Hill, is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Sheila. So, Sheila, let me first state that I can't believe how behind the times Miss McKenna is. She calls the current weather a climate emergency, but just last week I attended a loony left protest and they called our current state of environmental affairs a climate crisis. So I think crisis trumps emergency, but what's next? Do we label unsettled weather a climate extinction event? Because after all, according to the climate Cassandras, this planet only has 12 good years left, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, David Suzuki, um, he just, he's, I think he's just wrapping up his cross-country cross country they didn't even go east to west tour of the country um <laughs> to scare us all about the coming climate emergency and he actually cited the fact that hundreds of thousands of species are at risk because of climate change um you know it, it's just the rhetoric is really ramping up these days if you go on the cbc website and you plunk in climate change or even climate emergency. It's not just reports on the madness that uh, Catherine McKenna is talking about, but it is just story after story after story of taxpayer funded fear mongering about how the world is going to end in 11 and two thirds years or whatever it is <laughs> from the last time they tried to scare us straight. And also, I mean, Sheila, we've talked about this before with these, uh, what I call the, the climate Cassandras, David Suzuki, Al Gore, uh, Catherine McKenna, Elizabeth May. You know, maybe, just maybe, I would have more time, and the average Canadian would have more time for their argument if they weren't such hypocrites with their lifestyle. I think I read once where Al Gore, he has a, a carbon footprint 28 times the size of the average American. And as you pointed out in your um, uh, commentary, Sheila, um, you know, Miss McKenna is going on very short trips in a full limousine. And I've seen it myself. We've run reports of uh, uh, liberal entourages of 11 V8 engine vehicles that not only transport uh, the speakers to the uh, site, but they leave their engines idling for hours, which is of course the very worst kind of emissions from a vehicle versus highway driving. So, you know, I, Sheila, I just think this whole do as I say, not as I do, rubs people the wrong way. Well, I don't know what they're trying to do. I mean, I are they trying to live it up because we only have 12 years left? Because sign me up for that. <laughs> I mean, I've got a few things to check off the bucket list and a lot of V8s to idle. Um, but I've seen it firsthand too. When you go to the climate change conferences, when I was in Morocco, I saw the just like acres and acres and acres of idling buses and idling limousines all day long to keep it cold. And then on the flip side, when I was in Germany at the climate change conference, it's idling limousines, but to keep everybody warm and dry. And it's all day long without a moment of self-awareness. Catherine McKenna was taking a limo to places to talk about public transportation or taking a limo <laughs> to places to talk about 
how climate change is an opportunity to act now and change our ways. And she's literally taking a limo where it's just her, maybe her press secretary, a big, long vehicle and uh, a driver. I mean, it's, she's not even renting uh, a Prius and making somebody drive her if she wants somebody to drive her. I don't know. That sounds expensive to me. But um She's not even doing that. She's not even tweaking her lifestyle even a little bit. It's, you know, more taxes on my comfortable SUV and everybody else's trips to work or the hockey game. But for her, as long as the taxpayers are paying for it, her lifestyle doesn't have to change one bit. The only time I've ever seen her really riding a bike is when there's a photographer around to take a very staged photo of it. Oh, yeah, the photo op is one thing. But, you know, that's what gets me, uh, uh, Sheila. Sometimes I think they're just you know, rubbing it in our faces. When I see Elizabeth mm -hmm. May in the Victoria Day Parade in BC, uh, <laughs> sitting in a candy apple red Dodge Viper. I mean, my goodness gracious, if you wanted the, you know, the poster child for a retro muscle car um, full of hundreds of horsepower of torque and, and, and horsepower, uh, you know, that would be it. I mean, it, I'm just wondering, are, are they so full of themselves that they, they don't understand how self-defeating these optics are for them? Elizabeth May has one of the longest commutes to work of anybody in the entire country. She literally goes from the far west side of the country to Ottawa, and she does that twice a week. So tell me, if this woman is so concerned about the planet, wouldn't she be in a different line of work? Wouldn't she be engaged in some sort of climate change activism closer to home? But no, she doesn't have a problem, you know, circumnavigating the world once a week to get to work. It doesn't bother her whatsoever because she thinks it's for the greater good in the same way that she thinks making electricity and food more expensive for poor people is just, you know, the price we have to pay to save the planet in 11 and two-thirds years, less the five minutes we've been talking. Yeah, and, and also, Sheila, it's it's very curious to see what the likes of uh, Ms. McKenna will blame on climate change. For example, forest fires that we know were started by arson. And I kind of tie that into, you just had another uh, commentary uh, pop up about uh, the, the Rachel Notley government, uh, thanks to some wacko labor relations rules, uh, having watchtowers for fires in Alberta uh, being sometimes unmanned when that shouldn't be the case. I guess they're hoping the fire will play by fair rules. It won't start when there's not a person observing them in the tower. So first of all, they call arson a result of climate change, and yet the likes of Anatoly, who buys in 100% to the man-made climate change narrative, she ushers in policies that's going to result in more fires happening because of us not doing our due diligence of spotting the fire quickly and putting it out. How do you make sense of this? You can't. You can't. <laughs> if, if, if climate change was really the catastrophic thing that the Liberals tell me it is, they wouldn't be driving in limos. If it was going to make forest fires more intense when it, every single year it's forest fire season here in Alberta, it's just the way it is here, then you wouldn't have... Um, watchtowers unmanned for a full day at a time in the heart of fire season. I mean, Rachel Notley thought that forest fires 
and climate change, if that's what she thinks causes forest fires, would play by union labor rules. These people <laughs> are absolutely insane and everything they touch just literally goes up in flames sometimes. And, and Sheila, in the big cosmic picture of things, uh, Canada's CO2 emissions, I think, are around 1.6%. And from what I've read, if we you know, buy into all the, the carbon reduction programs, uh, if, if the carbon tax works the way it's supposed to, maybe in the years to come, we get it down in a best case scenario from 1.6 to 1.4. But basically, what I'm saying, Sheila, in the big picture of things, it's chump change. It's, we are still a huge nation that contributes um, less than 2%. So why not instead reach out to the real big polluting nations and help them with their carbon footprint reductions? That would be far more productive planet-wise than making us give up all our creature comforts. Yeah, I mean, you could nuke Canada right off the map, <laughs> all of our all of our industries, all of our people, and you'd actually end up behind um, as far as um, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions because Canada has that vast boreal forest that acts as a carbon sink. So the world actually needs Canada if they care about uh CO2 emissions because uh, we have this vast chunk of boreal forest that makes us, you know, carbon neutral at least and likely carbon negative. But I mean, it's funny how the liberals, you know, they they like to tout how, the, uh, you know, China is making all these innovations and, uh, you know, they're moving towards electric uh, buses and stuff. But in the meantime, they're sneakily emitting CFCs into the atmosphere for, you know, two decades, and you never hear a peep about it from the person charged with caring about the environment, the person we pay to care about the environment, Catherine McKenna. She never brings that sort of stuff up. She ne she talks about plastic pollution in Canada as though my, my straws here on the prairies are making it into rivers in India, but she never actually talks about how the plastic gets into the rivers in India and never is critical of uh, those countries and their uh, recycling practices and their uh, environmental practices. It's always focused on Canada, blame Canada, shame Canada, instead of presenting us as world leaders that we are and that we've always been. And, and you know, Sheila, that is an excellent point you just made. I think it was what, the 1989 Montreal Protocol that banned the CFCs. That was the old style aerosol cans where there was a, indeed a tangible link made to the CFCs that basically lasts for a century in the atmosphere mm -hmm. and its effect on the ozone layer. And those uh, CFCs were made illegal from 1989. And China, I, I don't think they complied uh, with the law until no. a certain region of China where factories were still using CFCs was found out. And that was something like, don't quote me, but it was like 2012 or what have you. So for well over a decade, they were blatantly breaking the law on this. And somehow um, we're supposed to make amends, uh, again, in curtailing our uh, lifestyle. And we're playing by all the rules. Doesn't make sense to me, my friend. Well, and, you know, there was a report out just a little while ago that China is still breaking the rules about CFCs. Um, some scientists recognize CFCs in the atmosphere and they 
traced it back to somewhere in mainland China where the factories are still emitting. And this is just a few weeks ago. I mean, there are serious environmental problems in the world, but they're not coming from Canada. And this constant focus on Canada as part of the problem, instead of always leaders as solution, like solution creators, um, we're the answer for a lot of the world's environmental problems. And it's just a shame that our liberal politicians can't see us that way. Yeah, well, two things, Sheila, uh, as we wrap. Um, first of all, I guess when Justin Trudeau was talking about his uh, admiration for China's basic dictatorship in terms of getting things done, he obviously wasn't talking about the environmental file. And here in Canada, let's not pretend we're squeaky clean. We know there are major cities in this country that are churning out raw sewage right into the ocean. Why don't we fix that instead of some hypothetical climate change bogeyman. If I saw tax dollars going towards making filtration plants and preventing uh, water from being polluted with our own filth, it would have my support. But we don't go down that road, do we? No, and those toxic sewage dumps are often okayed by Canada's environment minister. So again, while she's taxing um, some struggling families minivan. She's okaying places like Montreal to just flush turds onto little baby beluga. Oh, how disgusting. Oh, Sheila, thank you again. A great commentary as always. You have a good weekend, my friend. You too, David. Okay, take care. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed in Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More Rebel Roundup to come right after this. My main question here today is if Justin Trudeau will be lecturing the president on social issues after he lectured Vice President Mike Pence when he came to Canada. Here's my question to Trudeau. Prime Minister, will you be lecturing the president on social issues? No, I'm just laughing because as the Canadian media passed me, uh, they were all taking pictures of me with my mic flash. It's absolutely hilarious that in order to cover my own Prime Minister, I have to go to a foreign country uh, and get White House press creds to be able to get close to the Prime Minister because, of course, the Canadian press gallery determines who and who cannot get close to the Canadian Prime Minister. And they know that they're a dying breed and the legacy media is scared that the rebel is taking a chunk of their viewership. More interesting news today, the Prime Minister didn't come alone. He brought two of his ministers, Bill Morneau and Harjit Sajjan. It's yet to be disclosed if the President is seeking our Defence Minister's counsel on what to do with Iran. I have my doubts, I don't think so. Uh, and it's a little bit concerning that this meeting is only going to be lasting 30 minutes from what I see now. The president isn't spending much time on Trudeau. You'll note that he came to the United States here just yesterday and the president, neither the vice president nor the president came to greet him, similar to what happened in his disgraceful trip in India when the prime minister of India just didn't bother to come to the tarmac to give him one of those quintessential bear hugs that he's, he's very well known for. We're going to wrap up our coverage here at the White House to head to Congress to hopefully meet up with some representatives there to ask some questions that the mainstream media just doesn't want to. Well, guess who's at the White House? It's none other than Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And guess who else is at the White House? It's our roving reporter, Kian Bexty, who's going to give us the lowdown right now on what the heck is going on there. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me, David. Fantastic. Glad you can make some time. I know you're busy there. Uh, Ken, um, I understand 
Trudeau has, oh, I don't know, about an hour of the president's time. What do you think he's going to talk about in that limited time frame? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, a large portion of today was taken up by reporters asking the president about uh, a drone that was taken down by uh, the Iranian government in international waters. So that took a huge chunk of the meeting today. Uh, aside from that, the president talked to Trudeau about uh, inviting the Toronto Raptors over to the White House, um, but there was very little discussion about USMCA. There, there was a little bit, but probably not as much as Trudeau was hoping for. You know, it's interesting you say that uh, about the uh, U.S. drone that was taken over, taken down over international waters by the Iranians. Uh, earlier this week, I was guest hosting for uh, Ezra on his show, and I had mentioned my chance run-in with uh, Masjid Jahari in Richmond Hill, who, of course, is the Iranian MP, MP for that writing, who inexplicably, back in January, uh, tweeted congratulations to the regime for uh, winning the popular election. Of course, there are no free elections in Iran. So it makes me wonder, given uh, Mr. Jawahari's um, support, it would seem, for that regime, and of course, Justin Trudeau's affection for basic uh, dictatorships like China, yeah. which he's also on record, um, would they uh, condemn this outright, or do they have to have some kind of a, a policy session to make some uh, murky statement that doesn't actually look like uh, they're, um, they're condemning the mullahs in Tehran? Well, the, uh, that certainly didn't come up today. No reporter from the Canadian press corps asked that question. They wouldn't want to embarrass dear leader. Uh, <laughs> but I imagine if, uh, if uh, Donald Trump was made aware of that, uh, today's meeting might not go as smoothly as it seems to be going. Indeed. And by the way, we should note how self-defeating that is uh, for the Trudeau liberals to support the regime in Tehran, because the vast majority of Iranians that I have met in Canada, Kian, um, are the kind of people that left Iran because they found that regime intolerable. So if this is about vote getting, uh, this, I think the Liberals are going to find out this is a self-inflicted wound. Uh, the Persian community, at least in the writing I live in, are uh, furious uh, with Johari for his support. But I think the, um, the big picture, as always, it's the economy, stupid, as they say. And, of course, we're part of the Mexican-U.S. Um, and, and Canada trade agreement. Will they be talking about that? And do you think that might go, if they do talk about that, do you think that might go a little more smoothly uh, given the fiasco of last year's meeting? Uh, well, my hopes are that it will go smoothly. Their meeting just wrapped up and Trudeau is leaving uh, the White House as we speak. I think his motorcade just left. Uh, so we'll have to see what the statements are from the president and Justin Trudeau. As that happens, they, they were just having a private meeting. So we'll have to see how that actually turns out at the end of the day. Indeed. Um, and I'm just curious too, uh, Kian, from your observations there, uh, it's always something I think about when it comes to any world leader, how they, you know, interpret the actions of our prime minister, what they think of him. When it comes to President Trump, um, what is your sense of things? Do, do, do you think he looks upon Justin as a, a lightweight or, as the Chinese would say, little potato? 
Well, I think I think that's for certain. Trudeau actually brought a few ministers with him today. The ones that I was able to see uh, were Minister of Finance Bill Morneau and Minister of Defence Harjit Sajjan. So, I mean, if they're talking about USMCA and perhaps even Iran, although I have my doubts that the president is bothering to reach out to Canada to talk about how to move forward on that, uh, Trudeau definitely brought people to uh, speak in his place. Right. And Ken, I think also another big issue when it comes to the interaction of Canada and the U.S., aside from the economy, uh, that's our biggest trading partner, of course, it is the ongoing issues of uh, refugees, uh, many of whom are not really refugees, they're economic migrants. And uh, we all know the story well that they just need to go to Roxton Road and suddenly the Royal Canadian Mounted Police turned into the Royal Canadian unmounted bellhops and helped these yeah. uh, people in. Is there, was there any sense about, you know, talking about uh, this loophole, if you will, that is allowing uh, this, um, uh, this travesty to continue uh, on a monthly basis? Well, you'll note that the Prime Minister actually today put out a statement for World Refugee Day, um, you know, giving a glowing endorsement of his government's uh, position with them and how many refugees they've taken in. I'm not sure if Trudeau bothered to bring that up with the president. I don't think that would really resonate with him, especially when he has so many other things on the table, uh, like USMCA. And uh, obviously the president is a little bit concerned with what's going on in Iran right now, so that certainly isn't high on the agenda for him. I don't know if Trudeau brought it up. I asked him. Uh, as he came in, if he would be lecturing the president on social issues like he lectured Vice President Pence uh, as Vice President Pence came to Canada earlier this month. Uh, there was no answer to that question. Uh, and I'm hoping that someone from the Canadian Press Gallery will will try and figure that one out when Trudeau's back in Canada. Yeah, I see, because, I mean, the way I interpret this situation, Kian, um, Trudeau, the Trudeau Liberals don't mind this uh, ongoing uh, incursion of refugees, uh, be they genuine or otherwise. It's all about virtue signaling. And as far as President Trump is concerned, I think he's of the opinion of, hey, if you want to take these people off our hands, more power to you. So unless there's some political will in Ottawa as opposed to Washington, I don't see this coming to an end anytime soon. I don't think so either. I I think, uh, speaking of coming to an end, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. The press is gathering here in the room as we speak, so I don't want to be in the way here when things start happening. All right. Well, uh, sorry, caught you at a bad moment there, Kian. I didn't even have a chance to ask about the Chinese detainee, or sorry, the Canadian detainees in China. Um, I'm sure that, uh, or at least it should come up when you have a meeting of the Prime Minister and the President. So, you attend that press well, conference? Oh, pardon me. Well, I was going to say, I certainly do hope uh, Justin Trudeau brought it up. Uh, I'm sure that he would have been doing that in private rather than in front of the media. Um, But I have my doubts. Justin Trudeau has been very careless uh, about the issue, uh, about the China issue. We know that Donald Trump has been quite hard on that file. But when it comes to China with Justin Trudeau, uh, he doesn't seem to be caring about the fact that we don't have an ambassador to China. Uh, He doesn't seem to care that our canola exports, there's a prohibition on them right now. And he doesn't care about the Canadians that are on death row and, and incarcerated for no reason in China. So it's, you know, my hope and I think every Canadian's hope that they're talking about that with the president, hoping that the president can move forward on that file if Justin Trudeau is too weak to be doing that. But like I said, I got a, I got a vamoose. You got it. Thank you so much, Kian. And there you go, folks. I think Kian nailed it. Uh, Justin Trudeau, he simply doesn't care about those issues he should be caring deeply about. 
In any event, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. For whatever unspoken reason, Premier Ford decided to march in the York Region Pride Parade. But was he lauded by his political opponents and those in the media party? <laughs> Hardly. Check out this Toronto Star article. Yep, there's Ford wearing a rainbow festooned t-shirt stating PRIDE in block caps. He's even wearing a rainbow colored floral necklace. What more could you ask for, right? Meanwhile, the headline states York Region Pride organizers say Doug Ford's appearance took them by surprise. Ooh, yeah, like he crashed the party uninvited or something. Well, for the pride industry, I have this to ask. What do you want? Do you want Doug Ford to march in your parades? Or would you rather he stays home? Because for decades now, you've been screaming, why aren't the Fords marching? Why aren't the Fords marching? But when Doug shows up to a parade, these same hypocrites lament, hey, we had no idea this guy was coming. We sure didn't invite him. You know, I've heard about gender fluidity, but until now I haven't come across logic fluidity. Well, as the saying goes, you just can't please everyone. Ontario Premier Doug Ford and his late great brother Rob Ford were routinely condemned as homophobes for choosing not to march in various gay pride parades. But when Doug decided to indeed participate in the York Region Pride Parade last weekend, was he lauded by the usual suspects and those forward thinkers in the media party? Well, hardly. Instead, the narrative seemed to be Hey man, who invited you to participate? How does that old saying go again? Oh yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. In any event, here's what some of you had to say about Ford's decision to march in that pride parade and the lukewarm and even borderline hostile response it generated. Alpha Male writes, Good for him. Hope that's the last pride parade my tax dollars pay for. Want to be treated like everybody else? Great. Pay for your own damn party. You know, I agree, Alpha Male. In fact, given the reaction he received in some quarters, Ford now has a tailor-made excuse not to attend any more Pride Parades if he so chooses, given that his appearance at the York Region Pride Parade generated such unfair criticism. And yes, given the debt and the deficit, we need to get our priorities in order, and that means not cutting taxpayer-funded checks for Pride Parades especially the Toronto Pride Parade that continues to exclude uniformed cops on the advice of Black Lives Matter because, hey folks, what Black Lives Matter wants, Black Lives Matter gets. But speaking of cops in the LGBT community, I'm really curious what would the Toronto Pride Committee do if a certain 70s disco group were to show up at the parade given that one member likes to wear law enforcement paraphernalia. Oh, and by the way, is it still okay to have that native guy in the band, or would that be considered cultural appropriation? 
Bionic 2614 writes, Pride parades do not represent the vast majority of gay and lesbian people, and it's surely not a family-friendly event. It's more of a PR stunt for politicians and activists. Hey, Bionic 2614, I think you nailed it. I know there are many gay and lesbian people that live in the suburbs, vote conservative, and really want nothing to do with something like the Toronto Pride Parade, which has essentially been hijacked by far-left activists. You bitch! <laughs> well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.